And today we're going to look at chapter one and two and look at, I've called it, when everything falls apart. So it sounds really depressing, but hopefully it's not. My prayer is it's going to be a bit like this. A bit like this. So yesterday we went, um, Kirsten and I went up onto Dartmoor and we walked around Venford Reservoir and halfway around the reservoir there's this um, lovely stream coming into it. Um, Obviously this doesn't do it quite justice but there's kind of a series of like little steps. So you had this babbling water coming down and the water was just so crystal clear. Um, Obviously it's not a very good photo but in that water there were loads of little tiny little um, trout you know, there were um, little damselflies flying everywhere. There were these lovely butterflies. Um, the birds were singing, and it just was beautiful. It just was like, you know, serene. And um, I just hope that this, what we say today, is a bit like that life-giving water. So where that water is, it brings life, doesn't it? And as the water flows into the reservoir, there was a chap um, fly fishing there. And it's just this water going into the um, lake, bringing new life. And it might seem a bit of a funny thing to say the book of Job could bring um, life. I'm going to explain it a bit. Um, Paul, a few weeks ago when he was preaching, he used some verses from Jeremiah, and I'm going to read them in a second, but um, there are some passages in the Bible, I don't know if you found this, that when you read them, you can really sense God's heart for his people. So there's several times in the Old Testament where, you know, as you read it, you kind of are almost stopped because you feel the kind of the sense of God's often sadness for what, how his people are behaving. And this passage is one of them. So if you have your Bibles with you, can you turn to Jeremiah 2? So it's Jeremiah 2, 9 to 11. And basically, the background is to this, that um, Israel has forgotten all that God has done. He's forgotten the, de- they've forgotten the deliverance from Egypt, forgotten that God has brought them into the promised land, They're worshipping idols that they've made with their own hands, bits of wood and stone that they've made. They're not seeking God at all. Not even the priests who are supposed to point the way to God. They're doing their own thing. They lead the people, just going their own way and following their own desires. And this is where God speaks to Jeremiah and says, go and say these things. So starting at verse 9. Therefore, I will bring charges against you, says the Lord, and against your children's children I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar and consider diligently, and see if there has ever been such a thing. Has a nation ever changed its God for which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And I feel that one of the dangers as Christians we can face is to put God in a box of our own making. It's very easy to limit God, to think God only acts in this way. He only does 
these things. And then if you see something else happening, you know, it kind of throws into question your own, your, your whole world kind of a theology of the whole thing when you see God acting in a way that you don't expect him to act. And it helps, then you kind of start, if you start, if that starts destroying the way you're thinking, then it can, you know, cause you to question your trust in God, your faith in God. Does God really love me? Is God in ultimate control? And this, to a certain extent, is why the Sadducees and the Pharisees had such issues with Jesus. Because when Jesus came and walked on the earth, he started doing things they thought that someone from God shouldn't be doing. He was healing on the Sabbath. He was going eating with a tax collector that was cheating everyone. He was letting the prostitute wash and anoint his feet. And they thought, this man can't be from God because he wasn't doing what they thought he should be doing. And so this is... We must be very careful kind of, with the assumptions we make about how God will act. Otherwise, we'll be like those Pharisees, like in called, like Jesus called them, those whitewashed tombs full of bones. Or having a form of godliness but denying its power. So it's very easy to put God in a box of our own making. However, God is far bigger than any box. And I think that's where the book of Job is really important because it can kind of challenge our assumptions of how we think God should act. Because we all, I think even subconsciously, we all think, you know, when everything's going well in life, oh, God's really pleased with me, I must be doing a really good job, you know. Don't you? I think even though we might not, that, be, that might not be true, or if things go wrong, oh gosh, have I done something to offend God? I think that's very easy to creep into your thinking, even if you know it's not the truth. And so um, the book of Job is clearly pushes that all to one side so that's what I mean about hopefully bringing fresh water maybe kind of getting God out of the box you put him in so let's turn to the book of Job if you had trouble finding it it's easy just go to the middle of the bible where you find psalms and then it's the book before that so we're going to read chapter one and two There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East." Now his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burnt up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young men, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves for the Lord, and Satan came also amongst them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and unbright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a pot herd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the middle of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold to your integrity? Cursed, dog, cursed God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
Now, I know, again, it feels very depressing, but don't worry. <laughs> we will find good in here. So um, just setting a bit of the scene, okay? So Job is one of the books that are, of, that are called the wisdom books with um, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And um, kind of this term wisdom is much broader than we think of as, um, as an English word. It actually means kind of expertise, skills, and good advice. So basically, these books of wisdom are supposed to show us how to live the right way in kind of harmony with God's kind of principles of the world. And the book of Job seeks to answer some questions. So... A kind of a simple but obviously profound question is good rewarded and evil punished and the second question and maybe a deeper and kind of more important maybe for us um, is can we trust and have a confidence in the God that created the world and what we're going to do is try and see if we can answer those questions obviously just from these uh, two chapters and we've got the rest of the book um, but let's just have a little brief overview so um, the book of Job is really interesting because like the first two um, chapters and the end chapter are like a narrative, a storytelling. Then the rest of it is like this um, poems of like, um, you might know this bit of the friends kind of um, arguing with Job, Job arguing back and then in the end God steps in. But it's, uh, it's huge poems in the middle. So it's very different style, these um, two chapters at the beginning and the chapter at the end. We introduced this, this character called Job. He has, really interestingly, no ancestry. So, like, usually when we introduce someone in the Bible, they, we get kind of a bit of a family tree, so we know kind of where he's come from. And there's none of that with Job. And um, some of the commentators say it's because, you know, so that we can kind of see ourselves in Job's place. So it's almost like he's a person representing everybody. Um, we don't know who wrote the book, but it's supposed to be one of the oldest books in the Bible. And um, as interestingly, like as in the um, Old Testament, many of the kind of um, big reveals where God reveals himself is often not in the promised land, in the land of Israel. It's often out of the land. So think about part in the Red Sea, the Ted Commandments, God revealing himself in the burning bush. Here, this is not taking place in um, Israel, but in the, um, in the desert around Persia. So we get uh, introduced to Job. He's obviously a very wealthy man. He's got loads of animals. He's got the largest household. He's greatest of the people of the East. And he's a devoted father. We see him like, you know, rising up to offer sacrifices for his children just in case they've cursed God when they're partying, you know. So real devoted fathers rising up early um, to do that. Are you doing that? <laughs> So, but the important thing here is before we're introduced to Job and all his wealth and everything, we're introduced to his character. So three times in these two chapters, we hear that Job is blameless and upright and fears God. In other words, Job is someone that shows all the qualities of wisdom that we're supposed to be getting from these three books. Um, so God even says to Satan, there is no one like Job on the whole of the face of the earth, fearing God and shunning evil. Now this is, I know we can read this and it's just like, oh yes, but just imagine if, you know, up in the heavenly courts, you know, God is boasting about you to Satan. I mean, that's a pretty amazing, isn't it? It's like, look at my servant, look at Kay, 
Look at what she's doing. <laughs> it's because you're there, because I'm looking that way. But I'm sure he is. But it's just an amazing thing, isn't it? Like this thing that God is actually almost like boasting about Job um, to, um, to Satan. And this is a really important factor as we discover the rest of Job, because it's really important to note from the beginning, this whatever befalls him is not because he is a sinful person. Because what happens later on in the book when his friends start arguing with him, they all are convinced he has some secret sin, that that is why God is punishing him. And that is not true. God himself says that he's blameless and pure. So that's kind of the kind of overview lens to look at everything that happens. So we have this picture of Job, um, his privileged life, and then we have this um, amazing scene of like this heavenly courtroom and um, all the kind of angels are coming in maybe to be told by God to go off and do what they're doing and Satan comes in as well. And this is where God starts boasting to um, Satan about Job. And he calls Job his servant. Again, this is really key because God only calls people his servant who have a really deep and, you know, real, real relationship with him. So we think about people like Moses and the prophets. So again, this is all kind of underscoring the fact of this relationship that Job has with God um, and the importance that Job gives to God in his life. So... um, Satan basically almost like baits God. I mean, God's boasting and then, you know, oh, well, he only fears you because of all you've given him. And kind of, it was almost like a bit of a challenge, isn't it, to God? Like, is he just loving you because everything's going good in his life? And this is kind of one of the challenges to us, isn't it? You know, do we choose to follow God and to um, accept what happens from his hands just when things are going well or when things start going rocky do we then kind of think oh this isn't you know it's not going very well with God at the moment so um so basically God allows allows it's really important allows Satan to test Job by taking away everything he has Satan tells God to stretch out his hand but in fact God gives Satan the power to stretch out his hand and do it so God even though he's in Job is in God's hands but God kind of allows him to be in Satan's hands. And this is causes one of the issues that Job has and why he kind of gets confused because he thinks all these things are happening that God is doing them to him. However, it's because God is allowing Satan to do it. And so there's this confusion that, God, that Job thinks God is doing these things, but actually he has like an enemy in the heavenly courts that is doing these things to him. So kind of the things that jumped out at me was it seems really funny, doesn't it, that um, God gives permission to Satan. You know, you kind of think, you imagine that um, God would kind of put him back in his place. But God allows that to happen. Now, um, people have said, like, when you know, remember Abraham when he went and is tested um, sacrificing Isaac. And people say, why did God make them go through that? Why, do, why does God allow Job to go through that because surely he knows what will come he knows that Job will come through or he knows that Abraham will try and sacrifice Isaac however it's not really for God's benefit but it's for the person that's going through it Abraham didn't know that he was up to 
even trying to sacrifice his son because of his faith in God. And it's the same thing here. It's like showing Job what, where his faith is placed. And is it placed in just because of the good things that he has been given? Or is it because his true belief in God? Um, it's really important that you understand that God only gives Satan limited power. So he says, yes, you can take away all the things from his, all his possessions, but you can't touch him. And later on in the book of um, Job, in chapter 38, God says to the waves, you know, this far you can come, but no further. It's like God gives so much permission, but there is a limit to what Satan can do. There's a limit to how far the waves can come. And while I was thinking about this, it reminded me of the Last Supper. And you know, at the Last Supper, um, Jesus turns to Simon and says, oh, that Satan has asked to sift him like wheat. And interestingly, Jesus doesn't say, I prayed that you wouldn't be sifted. But he says, I prayed that your faith wouldn't fail. So again, he had to go through the sifting and then as his faith was proved strong, then he would go and support his brothers. And so it's that interesting thing is that sometimes we have to go through a sifting or a testing. So we've got this introduction. So obviously um, Satan has been given permission and then obviously the, you know, this horrible scenario, kind of continuation of one thing after another, hitting poor Job. And again, it's really easy to read it, isn't it? Just as like, oh, this happened and this happened. But if this is really true, if this is really a person that these things happen to, it's horrendous, isn't it? It's like, you know, one thing after another after another of these horrible things. His children die, the servant and sheep burn up, donkeys, camels, oxen are stolen. But it's soul-destroying stuff, yet... This is how Job responds. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's like, I don't know if I could say that at that point, you know, like, that is an amazing faith, isn't it? Like, at that point, when you've gone through so much, um, to actually praise God. But, God's, uh, but Job's response is to recognise that God has given him everything in the beginning, and so God has the right to take it away. He's saying he knows that God is in control of the whole, world, of, the whole of the world, of the whole of his life. And then we have this second scene. The same, so the same sort of situation in the heavenly courts. Again, um, God is boasting, saying, look at Job, you know, even though you asked me to allow you to do those things, you've done those things against him, uh, but still he hasn't sinned, still he's trusting me, still he's trusting me, still he believes in me and does not sin. But Satan now says, oh, well, it's because he's got his health. If you let me touch his health, then then he will curse you. So now poor Job gets struck with all these boils. Again, God puts limits on what Satan's allowed to do. He's allowed to um, make him ill, but not to kill him. So again, he's putting limits there. And um, he's sitting in this ash heap. Like, 
scraping himself with a piece of pottery, and along comes his lovely wife, or not, as the case may be. Now, there are some women in the Bible that, um, as a woman, woman, you know, you look up to and think, wow, if I could have her faith, and like, you know, you really want to think, that's a good person to emulate. You know, you think about like Hannah or... Um, Ruth or um, Esther, people like that, like are inspiring women in the Bible that did amazing things for God. And then there are the other women that you think, oh my goodness, I'm embarrassed to be a woman because of them. And like the one that comes to mind is like Michael, you remember King David's wife, Saul's daughter, you know, and David is um, bringing back the ark to um, Jerusalem and he's dancing with all of his might in front of the ark because he's so happy and excited that you know, the Ark of the Covenant is coming back, you know, and, and like Michael is like looking out the window and like, you know, looking at him thinking, what's he doing? And, you know, it says she, he des- she despised him in her heart, you know, and it's like awful, isn't it? It's like, you know, he's there celebrating God's goodness and the excitement of bringing the Ark back and then Michael is there and he's like, oh no. Well, I think Job's wife kind of goes into the same category. So let's see what she says. So Job's wife says, do you still hold your integrity? Curse God and die. Really encouraging wife. Men, I hope you didn't have wives like that. I hope you have people, your wives come alongside you and encourage you and build you up um, when you're going through hard times. Um, But listen to Job's response. You foolish woman, should we accept good from God and not accept adversity? Now, this word here, this accept word, again, means much more in um, Hebrew than it does in English. Um, It means, more closely means, shall we not actively cooperate with God in whatever he sends us? So it's really important. uh, Job's not saying terrible things have happened, we just must grin and bear it, rather that whatever happens, we must continue to love God, trust him, and keep on walking with him. So, what are we to make from all this? Um, Seemingly a story of calamity and seemingly great injustice. So there's just a couple of points I want to bring out from that, hopefully that will encourage you. So if things go wrong, it doesn't mean that we've sinned and God is punishing us. We can see there are forces in the world that are opposed to God and who are active in the world, although they have limits. This might seem like a really obvious truth. However, I've come across people um, in my Christian life that kind of don't believe this, that they believe that if things are going wrong, um, definitely they've sinned, and it has really crippled their lives. So one of them is my father-in-law. He... Um, so he had a really bad upbringing, so I think that's kind of added to his kind of milieu, his kind of outlook on life, though, you know, he's really committed to God. However, when anything goes wrong in his life, if anything goes wrong, he goes into this deep self-reflection. You know, self-reflection is good in a sense, but not to, a, like, you're looking inward all the time. 
and he just gets, ties himself up in knots. What could I have done? Am I not reading my Bible enough? Am I not praying? You know, he gets up at like ridiculous time, like five o'clock in the morning to read. I know that, I know that's probably not ridiculous, but he gets up very early in the morning um, and reads his Bible. Well, he's only staying with us because he wakes us all up when he does it. But anyway, so he stay, but maybe that's good. Maybe I should be getting up and praying then. But he gets up and prays. But then the rest of the day, he's falling asleep all day because he's been up so early. <laughs> but, you know, he really ties himself in knots. And it's this horrible thing, like thinking... God's only pleased with me when good things are happening. And we can see that's not the case from Job. In fact, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have troubles. He said that, you know. So we know it's, we're not in for an easy life. We're not promised like everything's going to go well. I don't, hopefully not many people believe, or no one believes here in the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, you see where that's come in, that, oh, God blesses me. When I, when I first came to Exeter, and I was try, going around the churches, trying out churches, um, I went to the church that was called The River at that time, and I went to their first service, and so I'd walked in, nobody knew me, I sat at the back, and the chap, I don't know what his name was, you probably know, but he stood up at the front, and he said, I'm so blessed by God. I have the biggest TVs. I have the biggest cars. This is seriously, this is what he said. I just literally, the biggest house in Exeter. That's because God has blessed me. And I looked around and like there were people, poor, you know, people that hadn't got any money. And this chap was standing up there and he was basically saying, because God was pleased with him, he had a big house, he had big TVs, he had big cars. And I just left in disgust. Because that's not what I see in the Bible. That's not what I see, certainly in the New Testament. So we look at Jesus, he had no home, nowhere to lay his head. You know, when he sends off the first 72 missionaries out with this good news, you know, he tells them not to take, you know, a bag, um, a purse, sandals with them. This is not a gospel of prosperity. Yes, obviously some people do get blessed in that way. However, that isn't a promise. It isn't like believe in God and he'll add to, add to your bank balance, unfortunately. <laughs> but no, no, because we have far more. That's a joke. That's a joke. Um, second point is there are limits to what Satan, the power that Satan can have over the world and over us. God is in ultimate control. And so only Satan can do what he is allowed to do. If we think of um, the promise in 1 Corinthians 10, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. So there are limits. We might be tested. In fact, we're actually told, aren't we, that he, we are going to be refined, like that gold that's bubbled away and that dross is kind of taken, over, taken off the top until you get that pure gold. And that's a painful thing, being in that fire of kind of refining and cleaning. But the only reason God does it is to show our character. Because when we're going through good things, everyone can put on a good show of being a good person, can't you, if everything's happy. It's when you're really up against it that shows your true character. And God used those times of testing and things to refine us, to show us. And it makes us realize, doesn't it? I know, well, me, when I muck up, it's like, oh, God, I haven't got that right. Help me, help me. You know, you realize how far we fall from the kind of the standard of Jesus. 
but God is gracious and forgives us and allows us to try again. The third thing is to watch how we respond to testing. So when we're going through these times of trial and testing, we need to follow Job's example. Trust that all things are in God's hands. Keep our eyes on him rather than the situation. It's very easy when you're in that difficult place to get sidetracked and just look at that situation. I know in my life I've done that. Like when something awful things are happening, you just get... Even though you know the truth, you get distracted, don't you? Pulled down to look at the things around you. And it's really important that we keep our eyes looking upwards. So where is kind of the living water in all this? Well, I don't want anyone to fall away and think that when hard things come, that must be because I've displeased God. So it's really having your eyes open to a bigger picture of God knowing that God tests us and refines us for our own benefit. Yes, Jesus said that we won't have an easy life, that troubles will come. But the rest of that verse says, take heart because I have overcome the world. And we can too with him by our side. So just looking at our questions where we got to so far. So from what we've read so far, is good rewarded and evil punished? Not at the moment. It doesn't look like that, doesn't it, does it, in our two chapters? Can we trust and have confidence in God who created the world? Yes. And I think if we look at the whole of Scripture, we know that the first question is true. We know that at the end of time, there will be an ultimate judgment. So um, hopefully that has given you a little taster. That's an introduction to where we're going with the rest of the book. So shall we just pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the richness of it. Lord, we just thank you for this book of Job. Lord, I really pray that you would help us to expand our vision of you. Lord, that we wouldn't be guilty of putting you in a box of our own making. Lord, I pray for each one of us that you would kind of open our eyes to see you in your glory, see you in your fullness. But most of all, Lord, I ask that when we go through times of testing and trials, Lord, that you would help us to keep our eyes looking up, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Lord, because we know that you alone have the power of life and death. You alone have the ultimate power over the whole universe, for you created it. You place the breath in our body. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you've given us, but Lord, most of all, we thank you for our relationship with you. Lord, I pray you would encourage each person here that you would keep them strong, that whatever storm may come, their feet would be planted firm on the rock of you, Jesus. We thank you that we can take heart because you overcame the world. You overcame death. You overcame sin on our behalf. And so, Lord, with you, with us, so can we.
this in Jesus' name. Amen.